On today's episode, we break down Joe Rogan's recent interview with Richard Dawkins. My name is Hayden Clark, and this is Help Me Believe. Joe Rogan is one of my favorite people. He has done everything from television to UFC commentating to comedy stand-up, and now he has uh, one of the most uh, amazingly successful uh, podcasts out there, and uh, he has an awesome YouTube channel. His podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, is downloaded by millions of people across the globe, and uh, he has a lot of people on, a lot of very interesting people on for discussions. He's a great conversationalist. He's uh, given us all a lot of insight into how to have a conversation. He's very great at that. And uh, again, he interviews uh, highly intelligent people and very interesting, and I myself am a listener of the podcast. Now, he recently had on Richard Dawkins uh, upon Dawkins's release of his newest book called Outgrowing God. And to be honest, I had forgotten that uh, Richard Dawkins was still around. I thought he had given up on the whole God thing and debating apologists and things like that. I just hadn't seen him in a while, and so I hadn't given him much thought. But uh, I read his book, The God Delusion, uh, a while, a long time ago whenever I was in seminary, and I'm embarrassed to say that it planted a lot of doubt in my mind as a believer. Uh, however, this led me to investigate my faith, and I stumbled upon Christian apologists like William Lane Craig and others, and uh, at the end of the day, my faith ended up being strengthened by this, so I suppose I actually have to thank Richard Dawkins for that. Now, as an author and as a personality, I actually quite enjoy uh, Dawkins. Uh, however, I find his arguments against God and Christianity, that sort of stuff, to be extremely shallow and weak, I must say. Uh, his new title, Outgrowing God, is quite ironic for me because recently I was speaking with a skeptic and atheist who explained their own evolution as an atheist in terms of quote-unquote outgrowing Dawkins. I'm not making that up, uh, so it was a bit ironic whenever I heard that. Now, there are many atheists out there who I, res first of all, I do respect Dawkins, but I mean respect in the sense of like an intellectual respect. Um, like uh, Graham Oppie and others who I respect intellectually. And I don't suppose that Dawkins is, you know, unintelligent or something like that, just that his arguments against God and Christianity, as I said, are extremely weak. Anyway, it should be fun to break down this conversation between Joe Rogan and uh, Richard Dawkins and give a Christian's perspective on the whole thing, so let's get into it. Well, it almost seems like if you were studying human beings, if you were something that was completely alien to our civilization, our culture, and you were looking at this this strange tendency to believe in something that there's no proof of and devote a massive amount of energy into defending that, put it into your songs and put it into, you know, your Pledge of Allegiance and all these, which of course was not until the 1950s, but all the different things that people have done in so many different cultures with in, in regards to religion, it almost seems like a natural aspect of being a human being. Now, many atheists, and apparently Joe Rogan and Richard Dawkins are no different, like to speculate about why religious people believe uh, what they believe. And the premise is really, obviously this can't, it's not because the evidence is true, is compelling, it's obviously not because this religion is true, so there must be some other, like, psychological explanation. And these conversations pretty much go nowhere. Without fail, they always end up in just pure speculation. And some of the most common uh, speculations are that religious people um, benefit from having a close network of like-minded individuals or something like tribalism. Of course, this is true to an extent, but it kind of begs the question, why join that network of like-minded individuals as opposed to others? Why be of that mindset in the first place? That's really the question. 
Not to mention there are obviously other ways of getting this benefit. Presumably, if I was an atheist, um, I wouldn't just be a loner. I would still have close family and friends. You can still get this benefit other ways. But I just want to highlight two things here. Number one, Rogan starts with the assumption or the presumption that there is no proof. Um, I'm not going to fault him for his use of the word proof. Uh, the word proof is actually, on a technical philosophical sense, not the way he's using it. But anyway, uh, perhaps he means that he doesn't find the arguments for God, Jesus, and or the Bible compelling. But to say that there's no evidence or no proof is just uh, a bit arrogant and completely untrue. Now, he again, he may not find the argumentation or the evidence compelling, but Christians do put forward evidence and reason as to why they believe. So, you don't you don't have to speculate why they believe what they believe. Ask and they'll tell you. And you don't have to believe them, but that's obviously presumptuous of you and again a bit arrogant. I don't do this towards atheists. I take them at their word. When I ask why are you an atheist, they say, I don't find the evidence for God compelling. I don't then go on to say, mm, I bet it's because you um, have a authority problem and you just want to have your own morals and you don't want to have to answer to a higher power or something like that. I could do that very easily. It'd be very easy to make a psychological guess as to why some atheists uh, believe in atheism. But I'd much rather just take them at their word and deal with the evidence and reason itself. Of course, if you make it up and persuade somebody else, then they could find it comforting. Mm. On the other hand, is an afterlife really all that comforting? When you think about half of them believe they're going to go to hell, so is anything but comforting? Um, and also, even if you're not going to hell, if you're going to heaven, eternity in heaven, I mean, sitting up, sitting in, in heaven for not just billions of years, but trillions of years, I mean, these are, these are time spans beyond our comprehension. How unbelievably boring it would be. <laughs> Now, at this point, Dawkins just shows his complete non-understanding of theology and, and biblical theology, that sort of stuff. Of course, I'd like to be generous and say that as an atheist, I can't expect him to know that much about Christian theology or any theology for that matter. Um, he's surely not all that interested in the matter, so of course he doesn't know that much about it. But if you aren't interested and you don't know that much about it, or if you aren't interested enough to actually study what theologians themselves say, then why are you commentating on it in the first place? So it's a bit hard for me to be generous here. Talk to any Christian theologian about heaven and you will immediately find that no one actually believes in this Hollywood caricature that we will be sitting on clouds in the sky playing harps and singing hymns to God. That is not how the Bible describes heaven, and that's not what any Christian theologian or any informed Christian is going to describe heaven as. The Bible teaches that God will create a new heaven and earth where there's no pain, no suffering, that sort of stuff. It'll be much like the heaven we live in, I mean, excuse me, the earth we live on now, but it will be recreated in the sense that there will not be the suffering and such forth that has been brought upon ourselves, by ourselves, um, through sin. So this idea that, you know, we're going to be sitting, it's going to be boring, we're going to be sitting on clouds, singing and playing harps, or whatever Dawkins has in mind here, is a complete caricature, and I, I'm sure he actually probably knows that. As for hell, he doesn't talk that much about hell here, but as for hell, hell is a place uh, that 
for people that don't want God. It's not a place for people that God didn't want. Again, it's a place for people that do not want God. As C.S. Lewis said uh, in his own writing, and I'm paraphrasing here, in the end, everyone gets what they want, except God. So if Richard Dawkins does not want God, which he apparently doesn't, then God will grant him that. Now, if you do want God, then you can repent of your sins and trust in him for salvation, and God will grant you that as well. But, Again, I said God doesn't get what he wants. What God wants is everyone. God wants everyone to repent of their sin and trust in him and enjoy him forever. But if you don't want that, God will honor your freely made choice. And of course, uh, Joe Rogan could not miss the opportunity to bring up psychedelics. Uh, have you had any experience with psychedelics? No. No? Neither have I. I just kind of think it's funny that uh, he always brings this up. He usually brings up DMT, but he, uh, here he just brought up psychedelics. What, has anybody had a, a good debate with you about it where they had some good points? Not good points, no. I mean, I've had very amicable debates with mm. religious people. Now, I didn't expect Dawkins to say any otherwise, and I don't fault him for it at all. But you should definitely watch his debates with William Lane Craig and John Lennox um, specifically. And we'll hear from William Lane Craig here in a little bit. Uh, now, I'm obviously biased, but I think in these two debates, Dawkins was just completely unprepared for both uh, William Lane Craig and John Lennox. And I don't think those debates went very well for him at all. Yeah, that is, uh, that is the conundrum. Super intelligent people who are deeply religious and who believe everything, everything from the resurrection to the Virgin Mary to everything. Now, I don't see how this is a conundrum at all. If I were an atheist, I think I would probably pause and think to myself, almost everyone throughout all human history, including highly intelligent people, have believed in God or some sort of higher power. Atheism is the overwhelming minority. Atheism is the conundrum, not theism, not belief in God. That's no conundrum at all. Almost everyone has believed in God. It's those who do not believe in God that are the conundrum. Perhaps it's because the evidence is actually compelling. Perhaps you should look into it. Dawkins, I'm sure, has read Intelligent Believers and why they believe. Maybe. I'm just guessing he has. Rogan, I don't know about. Um, but if he hasn't, and if you, the listener, haven't, I would venture to say that the majority of smart people through human history have believed in God and that you should take their arguments seriously, at least look into them. And if at the end of the day you still don't believe... Uh, you'll be all the better for it, all the same. But I would definitely take it seriously. I, again, I would think that the, I, the the fact that most everyone has believed in God would give you pause to at least consider why. Now, Joe Rogan mentions the resurrection specifically here, and, and so I would say that this is actually a question of history. Is there any historical evidence of this? And the historical evidence that Jesus was crucified, that his tomb was found empty, and that his followers had post-mortem experiences of him is well attested throughout the historical documents that we actually have. The question is, what best explains these facts? And I would recommend uh, Dr. Gary Habermas and Dr. Michael Lycona for anyone who's actually interested in the matter. Again, take it seriously. Even if you reject it at the end of the day, if for no other reason, you'll be better prepared to answer people like me who actually bring facts, evidence, and reason to the table and don't just take their faith blindly. Now, Dawkins and Rogan uh, move on here to more recent religions. So Joe Rogan often says something to the effect that he more readily understands why people might believe in an older religion where things might be more obscure. I don't think they're that obscure in the case of Christianity. But anyway, he, he's completely baffled by the fact that people believe in new religions like Scientology, Mormonism, things like that. And Dawkins uh, seems to concur here. Uh, m Mormonism, I'm 
depressed by how successful it is. While this is, you know, quite comical, I just want to note that it is the poor thinking that depresses Dawkins. So now watch this. I'm also very interested in the, perhaps even, the even more recent things, the cargo cults of mm. the Pacific, uh, where, um, again, these, these actually arose in living memory. And uh, the, the worship of John Frum in, in some of the islands in the Pacific, where you can see what happened. Mm -hmm. And this gives you an insight into what must have happened with Jesus. So what happened with the cargo religions, where clearly advanced scientific application was mistaken as divine, must, emphasis on the word must, have been what happened with Jesus. If there's a connection here, it is completely lost on me. I know I'm an idiot, but what is the connection between a culture that is confused by advanced technology and Jesus or his resurrection? Is there some advanced technology that might have tricked the disciples into believing Jesus actually rose from the dead? It's complete nonsense. Like, like all people, the disciples recognize that people seem to stay dead. In fact, even in the Gospels, we see that upon finding the tomb empty, they didn't just jump to the conclusion that Jesus rose from the dead. They first believed that perhaps his body was stolen. Not to mention that as first century Jews, there was absolutely no prior disposition to believe that a single individual would be uh, risen from the dead in the middle of history. Jews at this time believed, if they believed in the resurrection at all, some didn't, but if they believed in the resurrection at all, they believed in a um, corporate resurrection that would happen at the end of times. There was no prior disposition to believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. So there's obviously no connection between the cargo religions and Jesus. There's just none. And Dawkins only finds one there because he wants to. This is simply confirmation bias. And it's a, a convenient way for him to dismiss out of hand Christianity as easy as it is to dismiss out of hand the cargo religions. Dawkins actually goes on to make a point of which I agree with him on. Stephen Pinker, you probably had him on yes. at some point. Um, he makes the point that so much of what we believe we humans generally believe, is not about evidence, but is about, is this part of my tribe? Right. So after mentioning uh, Stephen Pinkert here, he also mentions Jonathan Haidt, who I really like his work. And Haidt has shown that we tend to, we form beliefs not based on reason and evidence, we're not just these reason factors, but we form our beliefs on emotion and other factors like that. So only after forming our beliefs do we then tend to, to turn towards looking for evidence and reason to prop up our already formed beliefs. And I agree with this wholeheartedly. However, Haidt's point is not that this is only true of religious people, like Dawkins seems to want to imply, but it's true of every, everyone, not just religious people. It's true of Republicans, Democrats, Christians, atheists, Muslims, agnostics, whoever. It's true of human beings, was Haidt's point. And atheists, like Dawkins himself, are not free from this, as much as he would like to think of himself as up here looking down upon these pure these poor religious people, if he could just help them up and to see the light of reason, if only, if only. The difference between religious people like me and Dawkins is that I'm not ashamed to admit that I have bias. Everyone has bias. If you're a human being, you have bias. Richard Dawkins has bias. He has emotional reasons for believing what he believes just as much as I do. I first became a Christian and then got into Christian apologetics. 
not ashamed to admit that because the same is true of everyone else. And if you think you aren't, you're only fooling yourself, if that. And this is nothing more than this el an, an elitist mindset where you are the bastion of objectivity and if only these poor religious people would listen to your argumentation, they would see the light, if only. And then uh, Joe Rogan here brings up another atheist meme. One of the things that I really enjoyed about your book was when you explain to people that everyone who, who practices a religion is an atheist. You're just an atheist in regards to Zeus or yeah, Apollo. Or, or the or, 999 other gods. Yes. yes right, and yes. that that's a home run yeah. with this argument. Yes. Because Some of us just go one god further. Yeah. While this is cute and has rhetorical appeal, it is complete nonsense. The definition of atheism is the belief that there are no gods. The definition of an atheist is someone who believes that there are no gods. So no, we're not all atheists. I believe in God just because I don't believe in Zeus or whoever does not mean I'm an atheist in, with respect to Zeus. That's just ridiculous. What baffles me about these definitional debates, and Dawkins and Rogan don't bring this up here, but is it's when people try to redefine atheism as a lack of belief. Now, if you look up any philosophical um, dictionary or encyclopedia, you will see the definition that I have given. And, no serious thinker believes that atheism is a lack of belief. All that is is just a statement about someone's psychological state of mind. Um, on this definition, if atheism were just a lack of belief, then atheism would be true even if God really did exist. How is that a reasonable definition? It's not. Not to mention that this mug here, it's got some good cold water in it, this mug would also be an atheist on this definition because it also lacks a belief in God. This is just complete nonsense. The definition of atheism is someone who believes there are no gods, and so no, Christians are not also atheists with respect to other gods. Dawkins then goes on to discuss some statistics about the so-called nuns, and not, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. So these are people who affiliate with uh, no religion. I do. Uh, I'm not sure that it'll come soon, uh, but I, I do, and I look forward to that time, of course. Um, I think we're moving in the right direction, and the figures bear that out. Uh, in Even in America, which is off the, off the scale of, of Western civilizations, um, even in, in America, the number of people who now subscribe to a religion um, uh, is, is, is dropping dramatically, and the number who say they have no religion is now about 25%. That's a lot. That is so it is true that uh, religious affiliation in America is declining, uh, the so-called rise of the nuns. But what's important to uh, uh, note about this statistic is that the classification nuns is not synonymous with atheism. In 2014, only 31% of those who classified themselves as nuns were actually atheists, which accounted for 3.1% of the American population. So only 3.1% of the American population in 2014 identified as atheists, and another 4% identified as agnostics. Now, if that is supposed to be good news for the atheists, I don't see how. The overwhelming majority of Americans believe in God or some sort of spirituality or some sort of higher power. Uh, what is actually decli declining is formal affiliation. So, for example, less and less people identify with this denomination or this specific religion or something. But that doesn't mean they don't believe in God. 
Christianity, on the other hand, is experiencing unprecedented growth in non-Western areas of the world. So statistics like this, which focus on primarily white and primarily Western cultures, uh, might give atheists hope, but they shouldn't. It's a false hope. Dawkins's hope here is completely false and based on a blind belief. Next, Dawkins returns to a subject that he and his new atheist compatriots are notorious for blundering, which is the subject of God and morality. They think that um, you've got to have a belief in some mm. kind of higher power in order to be moral. But the weird thing is that it doesn't have to be the same higher power as the one you believe in. Anyone will do, right. as, long as, as long as there is one. But if you don't believe in a higher power, you must be uh, immoral. Uh, you you and, and that is totally ridiculous when you think about the horrible immorality of, for example, the, both the Bible and the Quran, which are, which are horrific in the sense that if you, if you actually got your morals, if you got your moral values from the Old Testament or the Quran, and they share them a great deal, of course, you would be stoning adulterers to death and stoning people to death for breaking the Sabbath and doing sacrifices, human sacrifices and animal sacrifices. Now, I have read a ton of Christian apologists and philosophers, and I have never once heard someone say that you have to have a belief in a higher power to be moral. This is a complete character. No one's ever said that. I have no idea who Dawkins is even refuting here. What Dawkins and his new atheist friends confuse is moral epistemology with moral ontolo ontology. So, of course, an atheist can be moral. No one's saying that. That isn't the point. The point is that the atheist has no objective reason to believe in moral realism. That is, the belief that moral values and duties are mind-independent and not subjective to individuals or cultures. If morality is simply subjective to individuals, then we can all do whatever we want. It's completely relative. Who are you to tell me what is good and what is bad? I can do whatever I want, and who are you to judge me? If morality is subjective to culture, cultural opinion, then the pr predominant view is that which is morally good. This means that what happened in Nazi Germany was morally good. The view of the culture was racist and xenophobic, but because morality was subject, if morality was subject to cultural opinion, then it was morally fine, it was morally permissible, and who are we who live in a different time in a different culture to judge them? Now that is absurd, and that is actually the point. The point is that without uh, a moral objective grounding for morality, you cannot tell someone else that what they believe is morally abhorrent. So when Dawkins and company chastise the Old Testament or God in the Old Testament as immoral, to what moral standard are they appealing to? They have none, no objective one. Where does he get a standard of morality? From himself? From his culture? From, from what? Where does it come from? If he simply gets it from himself or his culture, he cannot say that what other people in other cultures did was morally wrong. They were simply following the moral values and duties of their time and place. So in order to say that something is objectively evil, you must have an objective standard by which you can appeal and say, according to this standard, what you've done is morally wrong. But on atheism, Dawkins has absolutely no standard of which he can appeal to. This has been pointed out to him time and time again, and yet he continues to completely miss the point. Now, for a response to this meme of the uh, evil god of the Old Testament, I recommend Paul Copan's book, Is God a Moral Monster?, in which Copan looks at the supposed 
evil texts in the Old Testament and explains them in their original context and why Dawkins and company have no idea what they're talking about whenever they critique the Bible. I also find it, well, I was going to say comical, but it's not very comical, perhaps ironic when people like Dawkins condemn religious people of the past for things like child sacrifice, which of course is explicitly condemned by the Christian God in the Bible, and yet uh, though they chastise religious people who practiced this in the past, yet they champion abortion in the 21st century. It is completely beyond me how they could miss that. In our culture, we sacrifice children all the same. We just sacrifice them to a different God. We sacrifice human children on the altar of convenience and financial freedom, and we call it women's rights. What moral progress our secular culture has brought us. If you are a champion of abortion in the name of women's rights, you have absolutely no moral ground upon which you can condemn me, any other religious person, anybody from the past who did atrocious things. You cannot condemn anyone if you think that this is morally permissible. Dawkins then goes on to make another ironic statement. Um, what was the you, you said that you wrote this? It's a, a beginner's guide, outgrowing God. A well, it's for guide. young people. Uh, I originally wanted to write a book for. Uh, for young children. The fact that Dawkins, who repeatedly condemns quote-unquote child indoctrination, again, a, a, to what uh, moral standard is he appealing to when he does so, but Dawkins repeatedly condemns child indoctrination, has written a book, you guessed it, for small children. That is hilarious to me. He thinks religious people quote-unquote indoctrinate their children by teaching them to believe things that are fa false and harmful. First of all, you have to actually show that it's false and harmful. But anyways, secondly, Dawkins wants us to teach our children what? That at the bottom, there's no meaning or value. That all there is is, quote, DNA, and we dance to its music, to quote Dawkins himself. What could possibly go wrong teaching our children that? This isn't false or harmful. No, not at all. Nothing to see here. The complete hypocrisy and elitism of this kind of a belief is astounding to me. And for the finale, uh, we arrive at my favorite thing about Dawkins. So in his book, uh, The God Delusion, which I have read, he called the following argument his central argument against God. And, well, here it is. Well, it's, I'm not sure it's weird. It's, it's kind of understandable until you thought about it for a bit because um, – Complicated things don't just happen. Complicated things like these cameras and <clears throat> this computer and things like that, they, we, we all know they had to have an engineer design them and, and factories to build them. And they're very, very improbable things, statistically improbable. The components of a computer or a camera, if you jumble them up at random, they wouldn't work, obviously. So um, it, it's kind of pardonable that people should think there must have been a designer. But then you think a bit further and you realize that the designer himself would need just the same kind of explanation. And therefore the designer is not an explanation that flies. Okay, so let me just lay out Dawkins' central argument against God in logical form. Premise one, explanations that need explanations are not explanations. <clears throat> Yeah, you heard me right. Premise two, if God were an explanation, he would need an explanation. So the conclusion, therefore, is that God is no explanation at all. So you can probably see why this is the dumbest argument you've ever heard, but please hear it from William Lane Craig yourself, who Dawkins did not name as his most competent interlocutor. Now, Dawkins' claim here is that we're not justified in inferring design as the best explanation for the appearance of design in the universe, 
because a new problem immediately arises, namely, who designed the designer? If you say there's a cosmic designer to explain the complex order in the universe, then a new question arises, who designed the designer? And he takes that to mean that therefore, the hypothesis of a cosmic designer is not a good hypothesis, that this is a bad or false hypothesis. Well, it seems to me that this rejoinder is flawed on at least two counts. Number one, in order to recognize that an explanation is the best, you don't have to have an explanation of the explanation. In order to recognize that an explanation is the best, you don't have to be able to explain the explanation. Folks, this is an elementary point in the philosophy of science. Uh, for example, if archaeologists were digging in the earth and they came across objects that were shaped like arrowheads and pottery shards and, and tomahawks and so forth, can you imagine one of the archaeologists saying, Egad, Jones, look how the processes of metamorphosis and sedimentation have formed these uncanny objects. Well, of course not. They would immediately recognize that these are artifacts, the products of intelligent design of some unknown people group in the past. Now, in order to recognize that design is the best explanation of these artifacts, the archaeologists don't need to be able to explain who the people group was, where they came from, what their origin was, or anything of that sort. They may have no explanation of this unknown people group who produced the artifacts, and yet it's clear that these artifacts are best explained not by metamorphosis and sedimentation, but by intelligent design. Or again, suppose astronauts were to find on the backside of the moon a pile of machinery there that had not been left by American or Russian cosmonauts, uh, what would be the best explanation for that machinery? Well, clearly it would be some sort of extraterrestrial intelligence that had left the machinery there. And you don't have to have an explanation of who these extraterrestrials were or came from or how they got there or anything of that sort in order to recognize that the best explanation of this machinery is intelligent design. In order to recognize an explanation as the best, you don't have to have an explanation of the explanation. In fact, when you think about it, requiring that would immediately lead to an infinite regress of explanations. You would need an explanation of the explanation, but in order to recognize that as best, you need an explanation of the explanation of the explanation, and then an explanation of the explanation of the explanation of the explanation. And so that nothing could ever be explained, because it would lead to an infinite regress of explanations. So that this principle that in order to recognize an explanation is the best, you have to have an explanation of the explanation, would destroy science. This is a, a principle that is antithetical to the very project of science, at whose altar, of course, Dawkins worships. So ironically, Dawkins has enunciated a principle, or presupposed a principle here, which is wholly unscientific and would destroy the entire scientific enterprise if ever taken seriously. So, in the case at hand, 
in order to recognize that intelligent design is the best explanation of the complex order in the universe, you don't have to have an explanation of the explanation. You may not know uh, what the explanation is of the intelligent designer that produced the cosmos, but that doesn't in any way uh, count against the uh, credibility of the hypothesis that the complex order in the universe is best explained by there being an intelligent designer. If this is the main reason that Dawkins rejects God, he isn't half the intellectual he pretends to be, and he should actually believe in God. I wish Rogan would have somebody like William Lane Craig on. That would be an interesting conversation. Anyway, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the video, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe, leave us a review, and follow the Patreon link labeled help, Support Help Me Believe in the description below to become a patron supporter. And with your support, you get access to the bonus segment of the interviews and much more. My name is Hayden Clark, and this is Help Me Believe.